they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. In fact, say it out loud with me. One, two, three. They don't deserve it. Now, a lot of times we would never say that. We would say that only if it's something bad. You know what I'm saying? They've been struck with an illness. They don't deserve it. Their house is gone. They don't deserve it. But we think it about some other things too. They don't deserve it. And to help us aid this, this message, I want to read from Genesis chapter 20, verse 1 to 18. This is what it says. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead. <laughs> you know it's a bad day when God says that to you. <laughs> because of the woman you have taken, she is married. she's a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? For he, did not say, for he did not say to me, she is my sister. And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I've done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Clean hands, pure heart, good grace, good God. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against her. Praise God, we have a God who keeps us from sinning against stuff that we don't even know we're getting into. That is why I do not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. That's some misbehavior from some prophet. And he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, called for a council meeting, a board meeting, a governance meeting. And when he told them what had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? Have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You've done things to me that should never have been done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is, really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had made me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abram. And he returned to Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. Just don't kill me. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you. Before all who are with you, you're completely vindicated. Then Abram prayed to God and God healed Abimelech's his wife, and his female slaves so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Wow. I'm calling this message, they don't deserve it. So to give you a paraphrased version, obviously we've read the text I'm confident that you've probably never heard a sermon or maybe you're like, is that even in the Bible? This is why the Bible's cool. They don't take anything out. It's got the good side, the bad side, 
the east side, the west side. It's got everything in there. And, and the story is about this guy. Let's introduce you to this guy called Abraham. Abraham, oh, he was actually first called Abram. And God calls him from his dad, from his home, from his region and says, go into the land that I'm about to show you. Literally, for no particular reason, says to him, I'm about to make you a great nation. Promises him all these things. The nations is yours. And we read all the way through the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Abraham is building this incredible relationship with God. He's called Abraham the prophet. He's called Abraham the righteous. I mean, he's called by God. You know, God says to him, you will have a son. You know, and we notice in the scripture that Abraham is going from city to city, from town to town. He's going through all sorts of places. Now when we park our cars in Genesis 20, it's no more newbie Abraham. He's been through Alpha. He's been through Discovery. He's served on Dream Team. He's done a few sermons. He's prayed for a few people. In fact, he saved a city from destruction. In fact, he saved his, his nephew Lot from being destroyed. You know what I'm saying? This is seasoned Abraham. This is not, I did not know Abraham. This is seasoned Abraham. Abraham's in the prime of this relationship with God. And for whatever reason, for maybe business purposes, expansion of the brand, I'm not sure, he moves into this little town in the city led by a king called Abimelech. Abimelech had this thing where he would just, you know, just, just pick on anybody, everybody sort of a behavior, a bit sporadic. And, and, you know, you, one of these things about these stories is you got to say it as it is. It's like the movies some of us watch. And so it's not like this is foreign to us. It might be foreign in a church context, but it is where... And I love that the Bible deals with human issues because it's not just like it just arrived yesterday. It's been here from the beginning of time. And so Abimelech had no control about his habits. And, but Abraham had this thing, and the reason was because Sarah, his wife, was very beautiful. But the problem that they faced was regardless of the beauty and regardless of the promise that he had from God that he was going to be the father. In fact, the name Abraham means father of many nations. The only problem was he couldn't have any kids. They couldn't have any kids. Father, it's a, it's a difficult day when you're called to father and you've got no one to father. It's a difficult day when you are, uh, when you are gifted in a certain skill set, but there's no one to serve, there's no one to do business with, there's no one to, no clients, no customers, no audiences, no, no transactions whatsoever to really confirm the gifting and the skills that you have. So whenever Abraham would pray, it's like God says, you're a father, you're a father. It's like, I don't see any kids around. And this has been a journey that's been going on for years. And so probably perhaps because of that, Abraham maybe wanted to change seasons. And we do this. We move across geographical locations just for a change of season. He finds himself in a new city. The only problem was that king was, you know, as we just already established, was not the best king, he just sort of took on anybody, everybody. And so to save himself, he calls Sarah his sister and she calls him her brother and this thing goes on and the king notices her and takes her in. But thank God that we serve a God who still protects us regardless of the foolish stuff. Somebody ought to be happy that you came to church just to hear that, that you're not here, you're not protected because of the choices you've made, but because of the protective hand of the Lord that's led you so far. And so God protects Abraham, God protects Sarah, and then speaks to this heathenistic king who has no faith in this God in a dream and says, you have no idea who you're touching. I want you to understand that before this text Abraham had feasted with angels and hosted, with, hosted angels and consulted with God and discussed things with God and, 
And, and, and, and I just want you to understand the tension of the text because sometimes we can look at the ignorance of Abraham and yes, he was ignorance in this, ignorant in this context, but yet had a lot of experiences with God. And now we find him in this funny place where such, such a lack of integrity in this guy to call his wife his sister and to, for sister to call him a brother, to sort of portray that relationship in the, well and truly in a much deeper relationship. But what I want to focus on this morning and the purpose why I want to preach this text is the last portion of the scripture where it says in verse 17, it says, Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Now this in itself is pretty bad. But now I want you to understand the context of Abraham and Sarah. Because if there was one struggle Abraham and Sarah had, it was not that their business was thriving. It was not that they did not have land and possessions. It was not that they needed any more sheep and cattle more than Abimelech added to their lot. It was not any of that. If there was one thing that they did not have was kids. But yet in this weird, awkward, soap opera moment, they have now been assigned to pray for the king that's been the instigator in many ways of the tension that they're facing to pray that his wives and his slaves and his nation would conceive child when they themselves can't conceive one of their own. That is why you might look at this text and go, they don't deserve it. Whenever I come across situations in my world where someone has been blessed uh, or someone is entering into a promise or someone's been given something or someone demands of something or requires something without me being judgmental, my mind wanders. And I find that my mind begins to calculate how, why, where, who, what, when, which. And when all of these coincide at some point, I don't need answers to every of them, but at least three of them, four of them come together it leads me to a conclusion of the fact that they deserve it. Now, you may not agree with me. I'm not looking for a nod. I'm just having a moment of confession here. But it is human nature to do the math. That when someone gets a job and someone gets an increase, when someone gets that up and someone gets this or someone does not get it, we begin to humanly calculate how did that happen? Oh, yeah, they went to school there, and so they went, they met them there. And then, oh, yeah, then there's that thing there, and we try to do it, don't we, in a sense of it's our human behavior because as human beings, we like to be oriented. When you walk into a room, that's why you look for a toilet sign. That's why you look for the exit sign. That's why you look for where the chair is. You look for where the platform is. You look for where the, where, where the cafe is because as human beings, we're looking for how, where, which, why. It's within our nature. But sometimes in the things of God, when we try to use those equipments in our rationale of understanding how God moves, it comes in the way of how he is moving. And so I want you to picture Abraham's situation because maybe in his head or let's leave Abraham, maybe Sarah, who was really the person who was not being able to conceive could have been at a place where she was like, but why should we pray for this evil king? Why should we be praying? And, 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 and sometimes when we, when we can't come into that place, we come into conclusions that are uncalled for. 
Sometimes we take a positive turn. This, I know I sound negative, but let's, let's put a positive spin on it. Let's work that out. A lot of times when people come to me for prayer, pastor, I finished, I need to get a job, or pastor, I finished, this is what I feel. When I start praying for them, my mind begins to wander again. And I'm not praying necessarily for their need, but I start doing the math. Father God in heaven, you've got to be there for them because they did ABC. And because they did ABC, they've got to have XYZ. And because they were they turned up to the MNO meeting, you've got to give them the PQRS. You know what I'm saying? We do the math ourselves. Oh, Father God in heaven, he has been faithful and he has been diligent and he put the communion cut, cups under the chair. Father God in heaven, you could, we do it, don't we? The wise. Oh, Father God, they've been to uni, then they did this slog so hard for six years oh father go where the windows of heaven open why because we do the math it's almost like we get into heaven's calculating system and put on the algebras and put on the equations and suggestively in our prayer begin to try open force open the windows of heaven and so I'm not just talking about the negative side of it. I'm talking about the positive. I am, your pastor is absolutely guilty in this, that anytime a request is made known, I charge to the heavenlies. I charge through the throne room and I say, Father, you got to do it. I know what these people are like. They're great people. They're amazing people. If there's one person that's got to have it, we've said it before. If there's one person that's deserved it, it's them. If there's one person that should get it, it's them. I mean, and we say things like, yeah, absolutely, your name's written all over it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We have it, it's in our culture. And I'm not, I'm not preaching against it, but I think in many ways it influences the way we see the hand of God. Yet we see in the scripture that God cancels all that calculation. God cancels all of that mindset. God cancels all of that pathways. And he goes beyond human reasoning. In this text, it's not like Abraham was pure. It's, it's not like Abimelech wasn't pure, was pure. It's not like Sarah was pure. They were all guilty. But yet the hand of the Lord comes. And when the hand of the Lord comes, he will be favorable to the righteous, to the unrighteous, to people that have been walking with him, the people that were not walking with him, because he is just good. I mean, we see this throughout Scripture. In the Bible, we read about a guy called Joseph. Joseph, who was unfairly, traded into slavery. His brothers get jealous of him and sell him into slavery. Joseph finds himself deep in a pit, sold to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites sell him to the Egyptians. The Egyptians, he starts serving in this house. He gets falsely accused. He gets thrown into prison. I mean, all, all of that, the fault of all of that was his brothers, right? And then literally, miraculously, God delivers him. He gets elevated from the prison to the palace. He becomes the prime minister, the right-hand man to the king. But then we find that his brothers on the other side of the country in Israel goes through a recession, goes through poverty and travels to Egypt. And little did they know that they come from, they confront Joseph who is now elevated, who looks more like an Egyptian than an Israelite. And I know Joseph played a few pranks. If you've read the story, he plays a few pranks and he does it more or likely to get their attention, not to really beat them up and not to really make them feel bad because he had every authority on earth to throw them in prison. He had every authority to make them go through everything he had been through. He could have sold them as slaves to 12 or 10 different households. He could have put them in different prisons. He could have done anything everywhere. But, but And he could have said to them, this is what you deserve this, talking about the conversation of they don't deserve it or they deserve it. Is you, he could have gone, you made me suffer for 15 
15 years, at least suffer for five, at least go through something. But there was something in him that, 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 that caused him, that caused him to be favorable because that is the nature of God. It's not what they deserve. It's not what they don't deserve. And that's how grace is. There's, there's this thing about the grace of God that at times feel a bit unfair. There's this thing about the favor of God that at times feel a bit unequal. But that is the nature of God and that's what we read in this text. What, what convinced me to really preach this text was not necessarily that Abraham turned around and prayed for his oppressors. What convinced me to preach this text was the fact that Abraham turned around and prayed for a need that he himself had. I mean, this is the sort of miracle Abraham needed that now Abimelech needed. And they needed this miracle for decades. Abraham wanted kids and Abimelech wanted kids. Abraham walked with God and Abimelech did not walk with God. And now God chooses Abraham in the middle of his pain, in the middle of this panic, in the middle of all the chaos to say, you need to pray for Abimelech, the unrighteous king, the unruly king, the king that's doing all sorts of crazy things around town. It's not like Abraham was praying for an unwell servant. It's not like Abraham was praying for a business to go, to go further. It's not like Abraham was praying for the cattle to produce more sheep. It's not like Abel was praying for, for, for the land to explore. And for, it's not like because Abraham's gift was he was a businessman, it would have made sense if Abimelech said, I need you to pray for our business. I need you to pray, lay hands on our cattle. I need you to lay hands on the sheep. No, he says, I need you to pray for this, this very thing, Abraham, that you're struggling with. I can imagine if, if Abraham having a conversation of, you know, we, we, we actually don't have a baby ourselves. This is something that we're believing with God in our own lives. Uh, you know, can we come and pray at your home once we have our own kid? I don't think that would have been too mean for Abraham to say that, but what you notice is that, that sometimes we, we, if it's not comparison or if it's not jealousy, it's that we disqualify ourselves. I, I'll pray for your business, but I won't pray for your child. I'll pray for your schooling, but I won't pray for your job because I don't have a job myself. See, we disqualify ourselves on the kinds of prayers we can pray, on the kinds of faith that we can have, on the kind of belief we can have for each other because of our own merits or demerits, because of our own qualification. Now you're getting what I'm saying. Or our own disqualification. See, the math is not just a momentarily math. We have mathed ourselves out to a point of what we can believe for and what we cannot believe. See, I notice this most in my life when God began to use me in the ministry of healing. I found it very easy to pray for backaches and anxieties and headaches and broken joints and stuff until they brought forth a man who had no eyes and said, can you pray for him? It's like, I've never seen this. It's almost like I disqualify myself based on what I've seen or what I can have faith for. And what begins to happen is that we put the pressure on ourselves. We put the, we put the, we put the thing on ourselves where we're like, you know, can you do it? Can you not do it? I want you to picture, I want you to epitomize with Abraham how he felt. 
It would have been heaps easier for him to be praying for an unwell servant or a business plan out there or a building project here. But the very thing that he's been struggling in the presence of God is what he needs to lay hands on and believing. And how many times have we negated the promises of God in other people's life because we've disqualified our own selves? How many times have our hearts been moved? How many times has my heart been moved? But I look at my own life and say, oh, my life is not fully there. I'm not sure if I'm equipped to be praying for that. That's something I'm believing for. Maybe once I have what I call a personal breakthrough, a personal promise delivered, a personal miracle come my way, then maybe I can pray for that. Then maybe I can believe for that. And without us knowing, we put boxes around where God can move and where God can't move. And no, we are never disqualifying God. We would never do that. We are too righteous to do that. But we will disqualify ourselves all along the way. What I can do, what I cannot do. What I can pray for, what I cannot pray for. I can imagine Abraham having this conversation they probably didn't but they had every rights to oh are you trying we're trying to you know I don't know I don't, I'm not playing this down I'm not making fun of it but I want you to I want to take the story and play it out because it it plays out in every scenario in our lives you know this is this is an area of personal struggle for us too you know we we getting we're getting counseling for this we, we were on special medication for this. I'm not downplaying any of that. I'm saying get counseling, get meds, get all that. I'm not saying anything about it. But I want you to imagine how this moment could have been missed because Abraham waited decades to have a son. If there was one moment, he could have raised the flag that said, I just cannot do this. We just cannot be praying for this. We just cannot be believing for this. We just cannot. Yeah, we forgive you. We're not going to bless you. <laughs> we'll forgive you and we'll leave you, <laughs> but we're not going to believe for you. We'll forgive you and uh, let's, just, uh, let's just not notify each other about any updates on Facebook for a season and uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, we'll forgive you and unfriend you and not know anything that's going on in your life. But he was saying, no, I'm going to go the extra mile. Uh, I don't have what it takes. I do not have it all together. We've been believing for 15, 20, whatever years for this son or for this boy, for this child. But no, Abimelech, if you, if you need this, we're going to pray for you. We will, I, I begin to ask the question, why would God include the story? It's an inconvenient story. It's sort of, plays down the righteousness of Abraham too. Like Abraham's had a good record all this time. It's like a season that the, 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 the leagues have that they take out of their history. I don't know if you know this, but it's common in football clubs to take out history and chop off history and take off stories that they don't want anybody to hear about. And if God was an editor, and that's what I love about God, God doesn't edit. <laughs> He puts it all together, the good, the bad, the ugly, the deaths, the murders, the birds, uh, the, the, all sorts of things because he's working all things together because what is he trying to help us understand? He's trying to help us understand how he operates. He operates this way where he takes the person that is perhaps in that context least qualified to be praying for anybody to have babies, the least qualified for anybody to be doing that. He says, no, I'm going to bring good out of this. 
I'm going to bring blessing out of this. I'm going to bring promises out of this. I'm going to bring breakthrough out of this. That which, you know, we would rather go to the specialist. We would rather go to the multiplying. We would rather go to the guy that's got 12 kids and three daughters or whatever. We would rather go. But no, no. And I want you to think about the humility of Abimelech for a moment. Yes, he did a few foolish things for sure. But his submission to say, we need you to pray for us. We need you. We, we've given you all these gifts, but we need you to pray to your, to your God. I love, I love the story because it's a story of surrender. It's a story of grace. It's a story of favor. It's a story of mercy. It's a story of hope. It's a story of restoration. And it's a story of release. The story helps us understand how God's favor works. Or rather, how far his favor would go. The story helps me understand not just how it works, but as how far our God would go. How much further would we go? How much further would he go? The hand of the Lord. This is why I've been preaching on the story of Elijah and the widow. I've been talking about it the last few weeks and it's sort of found itself again here this morning. But the reason why I love this story is because the widow was an unlikely source. You know, it doesn't make sense. It's like, it's like Abimelech going to Abraham, who has no kids, and Elijah going to the widow, who has no food. But yet God has this thing where he makes us so depleted that we know that when God provides it, he can be our only source. He can be our only provision. He can be the only holding up of our promises. He is, he is the only one that's there and God masters, he majors. God majors in the ministry of lack. God majors in the ministry of the little. God majors in the ministry of the nothingness. Because then when we experience everything that we have that he's given us, we know it's because not because of all the things we had, but because of the things we did not have. We know it's because of the things we did not, we, nothing, nothing was there in the pantry that day when Elijah went to the widow's house. And I love that story because it says something to me. That God will always provide. When we have much, and a lot of times when we don't have much. I was thinking about our church building and our church building story. You got to rope in the church building every, every message now leading up to the building. You know, I've only, got a, I've only got a limited time to go here. And once we're in the building, we've got to talk about the next thing. But, but, but I was thinking about our church building. Some of you might not know, but when we had our original launch, our first launch in February 2017, that very week before the launch, God began to put it on my heart to go to a certain street, to go to a certain road and pray. And, and that road was Flinders Parade. So I'd go to Flinders Parade and pray. And I'd go there the next week and then the next week. And then I sort of roped the board in. It took me a few months, but roped them in. And let me tell you, we looked at six buildings on Flinders Parade. And we'd go there and pray and believe and then put you know, put claims from this and put, put petitions for that. And we lodged applications, I think, for four of the buildings on Flinders Parade. We've been busy doing all sorts of stuff. And then I hear another church gets a building on Flinders Parade. It's like, wow, really? Oh, so God, you've outsourced my prayer life. <laughs> I've been praying for another church all this time. And let me tell you, uh, this, is, this is when it gets real. You know what I'm saying? I can't talk about you, so might as well talk about me. 
But if I can talk about me, I guess I can relate to where you live. And probably it resonates with where you are, like the time you want to buy that house, and then they buy that house. And then anyway, so so, so here we are. This church has got this building. And so now I'm reasoning. The, the calculators come out. Oh, well, the church has been around for 30 years. They deserve it. But I've been praying. They don't deserve it. Oh, but, you know, you got to be a kingdom-minded person. They deserve it. But the board and I have been fasting. We marched around that building seven times. We deserve it. And I'm going this way and back and forth. And, you know, I'm trying to be all pious because here's the thing. As Christians, if you've been in church six months, you know how to complain piously. <laughs> the Lord's been dealing with my heart. And I just feel a burden. And there's a stirring up in my soul. And, you know, just get out with the gossip. Come on. And so... So I'm doing this thing with Leah, and Leah says, Alwyn, I think this is bothering you. And so she goes, you're going to put in a generous offering into that church building. You're going to put a generous offering. I don't know if you know this, but when that church came out, we gave in a generous offering into that church building because we said, you know what? Obviously, we knew at the end of the day, kingdom makes, it's all about kingdom gains. It's not about downpour brand or whatever else brand, but it's the brand of Jesus. But here's what I'm trying to say. It was a moment in my life where Abraham had to pray for Abimelech, knowing that, that when they left that prayer meeting, it was only Abimelech's wife who felt pregnant. With the, with the tension, with the knowledge that we are still barren, but yet God is still good. That we are still without a building, but God is still with us. That, that, that even in our lack, even when we don't see it, even when we don't have it, that he is still good and he is still, and I, and I am thankful for a wife who will look me in the eyes when I bring out the deserve-o-meter and say, did they deserve it? Did they not deserve it? Did they earn it? Who says, you know what? You're going to give an offering to that. You're going to give an offering. You're going to get on your knees and pray right now for them. You know, and I love that. And that's a great heart to have because I think so many times God's favor is paused because of our lack of posture in prayer. I think a lot of times God's mercy is paused because we are not filling the gap like Abraham did that day. And what I love about the story is the position of not just them saying, you pray for them. Because here's the thing, we will pray if we know we're going to be blessed. We will pray because we've done the map that, oh, I'm going to pray and bless because I think it's going to happen. But there was no strings attached. And, 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 and this morning, I would not be surprised if I can say this for a moment, that there are people out there that look at our new building and are probably saying the same thing. That are saying they don't, deserve it and can I make something clear we absolutely don't deserve it <laughs> we don't deserve the building that God is giving to us we don't deserve it one bit we don't deserve anything that's coming our way but favor ain't fair favor plays unfair when God gives he gives when God pours he pours it's not anything I've done I thank God for a board I thank God for a congregation I thank God for vision but everything comes out from God and let me tell you let me make it very clear we don't deserve anything that we're about to walk into we don't deserve anything that we've ever walked into in Jesus name we don't deserve it and so anytime you feel that you get the don't deserve stare embrace it 
accept it, wear it with pride. Yes, you don't deserve it. I think so many times we spend so much energy, so much bandwidth trying to prove, oh, we've been praying so hard and fasting so hard. And I mean, the amount of communion Regan and I had, we almost got drunk. I mean, it was crazy. We've been, <laughs> you know, we, you know we, we talk about these things, but can I take a moment and say, Regardless of all the things we've done, yes, there's been faithfulness. Yes, there's been fruitfulness. Yes, there's been diligence, hard work, all of that, not demeriting that. But let me tell you, we don't deserve it. And that's why I love, I was, I was thinking, should I call this message, they deserve it? No, I want to call it, they don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. If you're in a relationship, if you have kids, if you're blessed, can I say to you, you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. What I'm walking in, what I'm living in, we don't deserve it. But the goodness of God leads us. The goodness of God takes care of us. And I think it's really important because in this story, when we look at it, we might even bring out the deservometer for Abraham and Abimelech. Who deserved it more? Was it Abraham? Was it Abimelech? And one of the things we do in this whole deservo game is when we can't rationalize it, we manufacture closure. We manufacture closure where heaven has put a comma. So let's, let's take this. I'm believing for healing and I'm believing for breakthrough. And I prayed. And then when I prayed, something happened. I felt the wind. And then I prayed, I felt the Lord leading me here. And the Lord leading me to the scripture. And you had hope that 15th of whatever month it was, 15th of September, you know, 2018 was your day. And then you go into the prayer line and nothing happens. And then you go to the conference and nothing happens. And then you go to the seminar and, and you know, you feel a little bit good. Then you read a book, something, but nothing really happens. And so you know what happens? We manufacture closure. And the reason why we manufacture closure is because we will never blame God. But then now we begin to live at a place where God has never called us to live because perhaps that was a comma. That was a place of invitation to keep, but you know what surprises me? What confuses me is this. I mean, Christians all the time, you know, and, I, and I, I feel like I've been talking down medical practitioners. I'm not, I come from a family background of doctors and everything, all that sort of stuff. But I meet Christians all the time that are going through stuff, bad stuff, evil stuff. Let's, let's say that where, where it's at. That'd be like, we went to this specialist and did this treatment and they go and get this treatment and get a bit of improvement. But, you know, then they find out there's something else that come up and then they go to another specialist and then they find a nutritionist in Gold Coast. And, and here's the thing, I, I, I say kudos to you for doing that. Then they hear about this medicine that's come out from Argentina. You know, we travel to Argentina, get the treatment there. You know what I'm saying? Praise God, let's do that. But imagine if we pursued a miracle that way. Imagine if you pursued a breakthrough that way. Let's, let's, let's go after all the things that are there. I'm not saying you shouldn't do any of that. But on the same side, let's keep believing. But what happens is we begin to put a closure where God put a comma. And, and, and what begins to happen is like, it could have been like Abraham where he could have said, well, I guess from now on, we're just going to pray for other people to have kids and I guess we'll never have one of our own and you can manufacture a closure and I want to be careful about it. And, and I, would, I would rather, let me tell you, worship is the ability to believe for more, even in the midst of lack. It's the ability to hope for more, even when it's not there. 
Because even at the end of my life, if I haven't seen the fullness, even at the end of my life, if Isaac's not fully here, I will still push that way because I think that's where faith lives. That's where breakthrough lives. And, and, and if, if my life can be a message to the next generation, if my life can be a message to other people to believe for and hopefully access into what I could never access into, that in itself is a statement. And I've said this before that when, I, when we walk into this building of ours, and I've had numerous people say this, that this building is an answer to not just our prayers. It's an answer to their prayers. Because somebody somewhere 20 years ago did not put a closure box but, but found tension around a comma and prayed around a comma and believed around a comma. And maybe they were not able to complete the sentence, but you know, you and I, we've come in the way and we are completing that sentence. And at some point we may hit a comma and we might need to make a choice where we're going to have closure around it or we're going to believe with it. We're going to believe for it. We're going to believe that there's going to be a great thing that comes out of it. And I think it's such an important thing that happens. I think, I think we've got to get a hold of this because here's the amazing part. I know I didn't tell the team to put this because the very next chapter, I mean, they put the chapter. It was literally the very next verse, Genesis 20. In fact, if you have an old school, Genesis 21 rather, if you have an old school or, a, or a, like a like a word Bible, like a written Bible, like a typed up Bible and, you know, and a non-screen Bible, you will literally see Genesis 21, the, the, the subtext, the subtitle there is the birth of Isaac. The birth of Isaac. You got, I find it interesting that in Genesis 16, he was having meals with angels and having open heaven conversations with God. And having sacrificial, you know, appearances and the Sodom and Gomorrah, all sorts of stuff. But in Genesis 20, an act of faith, an act of surrender, an act of giving, an act of forgiveness, an act of appreciation, an act of partnership. Could it be, could that have been the tipping point to the miracle that they were believing for decades? And I say this with care because I think so many people have done so many things. And I'm careful because in church environments, we can preach about breakthrough and we can preach about the miraculous and we can preach about God's provision. And so many of us have believed and we've believed so far that now we struggle to believe anymore. It's like, okay, which one is it? Is it a rise and build? Is it vision gala? Is it hot for the house? A pastor comes out and comes up with new fancy names. <laughs> Next time it'll be, you know, Black Panther offering. Like, we don't know what's going to be. But which, which one's going to be the one, Alwyn? Can I say to you, I don't know. I don't know. But I know one thing that I choose not to live in closure where heaven never gave me closure. But I'll keep pushing to the other side of the comma knowing in confidence that heaven has more. That if my Bible is real and if my Bible, if the words of my Bible are true, that God is inviting us to a new space, that we will labor for more, we will go for more, we will believe. And I'm hopeful. And I'm, I am with all, with all confidence to say this. I believe this is the one. I believe this is the moment. I, I do have a sense that this is going to be the thing that's going to break through for all of us. And I'm believing, I've been praying, saying to myself that God has people give into your house 
given to this promise, given to this building, given to this offering, that them and their homes will be blessed, that there will be something that will come upon. I really believe that. But I'm not here to go to tell you this is the moment. This is because we're all on that journey with God like Abraham. But I want to encourage you to be a participant, to be a co-laborer and say, God, I'm going to co-labor with you. I'm going to believe for someone hearing this right now. Let me, let me break this down to you. For you, it might, be, it might be that one thing you stop believing for. It might be that miracle that you once believed in, but you cannot believe for it anymore. For someone, it might be a ministry thing where you had dreams and desires, but, but, but it sort of got taken away or things happened and got shifted and you sort of just brought a bit of closure there. And I think it's okay for a season, but maybe you shouldn't put a closure there because maybe God's calling you for more. For another person, it might be someone who has this conviction that no one's ever, never going to love them. For another person, it might be a healing situation where we believe for three years for that miracle. We believe for four years for that miracle. Can I ask, can you believe one more time? Can you believe one more time? Because you might have a Genesis 21 moment. You might have a Genesis 21 moment because what I love about Genesis 20 is everything about it was eerie and ugly and looked like a soap opera from the 90s. But what I love is that God, that was the enemy meant for evil, the good, the bad, the ugly. God births the greatest miracle, Isaac, who is going to be the carrier of Judah from whose womb comes forth Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And so here's what I'm trying to say that you might be closer to it than you realize but I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it's here it's now it's whatever because I'm as much a student like yourself where I'm believing where I'm hoping but I've made one resolve that I will not manufacture a closure where heaven heaven never delivered one where I will not come with a theory or a theology that'll comfort me and console me and will make God look good in front of people. Can I say to you, God does not need a PR manager? Can I say to you that God is okay looking a bit bad? Can I say to you, he's been around a long time. He's had a few blows. He's had a few names called at him. He can handle it. I think so many times in church, we will worship looking all sanitized and deodorized. But when we're elsewhere, we are, we are in this place of, I'm not sure, I'm not, I don't know if it's going to happen. Can I say God can handle that? And I think so many times we struggle because we, we struggle with not knowing. But what is faith when you know it all? Faith is not knowing. Faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. And so I've come to realize the place of my greatest faith is not the place of my greatest knowledge. The place of my greatest faith is my greatest, is my, is my area of lack of knowledge. When I don't know much, that's when my faith rises. Faith is not knowledge. Faith is assurance. Faith is not knowledge. Faith is confidence. Faith is not intuition. Faith is the ability to recognize that God will come through even when there ain't no flour, even when there ain't no oil, even when there are no babies in the womb. That is faith, knowing that I will be obedient. And sometimes faith will look like praying for my womb and other times faith will look like praying for yours we think sometimes faith is about but what about Sarai okay Sarai Sarai doesn't have a baby <laughs> she doesn't have a baby and Abimelech you know but but what if it's all connected 
What if we're in this together? What if that's what the church is where when your breakthrough comes along, it's contagious. That when God blesses your womb, it touches everybody around you. When God blesses your home, it blesses every other home. When God blesses this house, that it's supposed to flow into my house and into your house and into the city for his name. Because it made no sense when Jesus died on the cross. It made no sense when he was about to die. It made no sense when he said, you know, into your hands I submit my spirit. There was no celebration. And that's supposed to be this morning. We spoke about the cross having the final word. Can I define to you that when the cross was having the final word, there was betrayals, there was denials, there were robberies from the treasury. People that he mentored, led, Bible college graduates, all of them ran. That didn't look like there was a final word there. That didn't look like, that, that felt like Genesis 20 right there. That felt like even, even he was, even, even, even he felt the loneliness. Even Jesus experienced the loneliness. But sometimes it's in those moments that God's about to birth something. And so I want to encourage you this morning. As we get our, I know we're supposed to talk into this miracle offering and it's all connected and hopefully able to join the dots because we're all great calculators as we've established that before. But I want us to walk out with the confidence that we don't deserve anything. I think so many times, because see the problem is if we think we deserve it, when we miss the mark, we think we deserve it too. When we walk in unbelief, we think we deserve that too. When we walk in weakness, sin, call it what it is, we think then we deserve that too. Now there are consequences of it. But at the same time, God's posture to you is still the same. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. Not the badness, not the meanness, the goodness of God. And if you're here this morning with every eye closed, you're saying, I need the goodness of God. You know, one of our values at Downport Church is we will not get used to this. We will not get used to the salvations. We will not get used to the baptisms. The only way you can posture a heart that says we will not get used to it is a mind that says, I do not deserve this. I, I, I do not deserve this. The only way I cannot get used to my wife is by saying, I don't deserve her. The only way I cannot get used to my kids is by saying, I don't deserve them. And that changes everything. 